It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. Recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. You can also follow us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. My name's Kate Winnigal and I'm joined today by Natalie Bucknell and Michael Steindl. Hello, Hello. With much recent public debate about the state of our electricity system, it's time to get a better understanding of the new fossil fuel technologies that federal government is supporting. We're going to be speaking to Dr Lynette Molyneux, who's an ideal person to fill us in on this. As a researcher with the Energy, Economics and Management Group at the Global Change Institute at the University of Queensland, Lynette is currently researching the resilience of electricity systems. Hi Lynette, thanks for joining us. Good day, Kay. Good to, good to have you on the show. Lynette, firstly, can you set the scene for us with an overview of Australia's electricity production? You know, what is the total existing capacity for electricity production in Australia? Well, in, um, the, the, Australia is sort of divided into two discrete systems, really. We have, we have what we call the national electricity market, which is um, a electricity system that extends from northern Queensland all the way down to South Australia. And we generate about uh, you know, 150, 160 um, gigawatt hours of electricity on that system. And then there's a completely separate system, which isn't linked to the eastern seaboard at all, which is the southwest interconnected system, which is around um, Western Australia. And that's a much smaller system, but it makes up um, 50 or 40 extra gigawatt hours. And so all in all, Australia produces around 200 million kilowatt hours of electricity a year. Okay. And are you able to break that down in terms of the percentage of coal-fired wind, solar and hydro? And the majority of the electricity is generated from coal. Um, approximately 25% is generated from brown coal. Um, a further 50% is generated from black coal. Um, and then there's, the, the rest is relatively small. Um, there's a bit of hydro in there, which generates uh, uh, from memory, I think it's about 7%. Um, and then there are four bits of wind and, and hydro as well, and, and um, solar as well. So it's, it's predominantly a coal-based system. Um, we found that when there was a carbon price in place, um, that um, percentage reduced, and now that the um, carbon price has been removed, we find that the coal-fired generation is increasing again. So you're saying that 75% of Australia's electrical production is through black and brown coal, and it actually decreased during the carbon price years and has increased again. So there's more power stations being coal-fired power stations opened up. No, it's not that they've opened up, it's just that they 
um, are generating more uh-huh. um, simply because they are cheaper. Uh, the national electricity market is really based on a system of whoever offers the cheapest power um, is dispatched for for you know for load. Um, but but when there was a higher price associated with with black and brown coal, specifically black coal, was eased out by by other cheaper options like gas. So, so there was a shift in, in what was produced in terms of electricity mm. during the days of the, of the carbon price, but now we've kind of gone back to where we were before. Mm. And now gas prices have gone up dramatically. Which, which complicates... Well, it kind of adds to the process of, of, of a return to coal, really. Mm. So you say um, in an article that you've written that a large proportion of the coal-fired production is ageing. What are the statistics on that? Well, we've, we've got about 25 gigawatts of, of, of coal-fired power stations, and a lot of those have been built prior to 1990. Um, if we look at um, Victoria's coal-fired power stations, they're all quite old except for one. Um, we look at um, New South Wales' coal-fired power stations, they're all pretty old as well. Really, only um, Queensland that has a relatively new fleet of coal-fired power stations. But so most of them, you know, kind of two-thirds of them are kind of getting to the to the sort of thirty-year age group, um, and really should be retired because they're not really as, as economically viable as they should be. And it's only because we have cheap coal in Australia that they continue really to be to be viable producers of electricity. And certainly as we, as we go over the next sort of eight years or so, by the time we get to 2025, which is not that far away, we'll only have four gigawatts of um, electricity capacity, which will be generated from something that is less than 30 years old. So it, it's an ageing um, fleet and, and it really needs replacing and we need to sort of put in place things now to, to consider what the best options are for replacing them, certainly within the next 10 years. So this really sets the scene for change, Lynette, doesn't it? Um, I'm curious about you know what what's been considered, um, particularly in in terms of new coal generation. Can you? We've heard reference to subcritical and supercritical and ultra supercritical boilers. Can you explain some of this terminology to us and and what's under consideration, please? Well, coal-fired generation really has sort of it's it, it, it advanced over the years. It's, a few of the older older generators in Australia um, are, would be called subcritical. And it, it's simply just the way you boil the, you know, kind of create the heat for, for the boiler to, to create the steam to generate the electricity. And subcritical is the most inefficient way of doing so. You, you have temperatures at lower heat, so it, it's less efficient. And it's... Um, um, it's the older technology. Then you get so, oh, sorry. So when you say less efficient, what sort of efficiency are you talking about? Well, less efficient is, is how much energy you are able to generate from the the sort of inherent value of the coal that you're putting into the system. And uh, what we talk about in subcritical would be, you know, kind of um, efficiency rates of of being able to capture less than thirty percent of the um, of the inherent energy value of the coal to create electricity. Okay, now, so it's less, less than a third of, of the energy that's there. It's a third and less. 
Supercritical is better. It, it sort of takes you up to the 35% level of, of creating energy um, from, from the coal. And after that, we start to get to ultra-supercritical, which really is looking to sort of the, the sort of 40, 40% um, conversion efficiencies to be able to generate electricity from coal. Ultra-supercritical is simply just a, a well, not simple because it's not a simple process, but it is increasing the, um, the materials you, you need within your generation system to be able to convert your coal into electricity. So it, 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 it's just higher heat inside the boiler. And to do that, you need, considerably, you need more advanced um, alloys to be able to sustain those heats inside the boiler. So it, it, it's a process of, of increasing the capacity of the, the generator to be able to withstand greater heat so that it can create more energy. And this is, an advantage, this is an advantage just because it means you have to burn less coal so you get less carbon output. Exactly. And how many of these ultra-supercritical boilers do we have in Australia, Lynette? Um, we only have one that could even be close to considered to be that, and that's Cogan Creek in, in Queensland. Um, it's sort of on the edge of, of ultra-supercritical. It's, it's, it's fairly efficient to... Its um, efficiency rate's about thirty-seven, thirty-eight percent, um, and it's 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 a it's a, it's a it's a pretty good generating facility. It's air-cooled, so it doesn't use a lot of water, and it's pretty efficient. But the rest of them would tend to be um, sort of down the sort of supercritical and then into the subcritical levels. Okay, so it's it's relatively new in Australia. Um, what about advanced? Ultra super critical boilers. <laughs> <laughs> the, these are touted as the the solution. Um, where, what what is that about, and and how close are we to that technology? Well, advanced super critical is kind of the next stage up from uh, uh, advanced super <laughs> advanced <laughs> super duper. Yeah. Is, uh, is the next step up from ultra super critical? I'm not sure. To be honest with Irene. Advanced ultra supercritical fast power stations around the world. It's really just the, the, the next incremental step, which I, I believe is still in 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 pilot phase and in testing. So it, it, it's the next level up. It would take you up to maybe levels of fifty percent um, efficiency. Okay, and um, how how far do you estimate that is off commercial production? Oh, I have no idea. Um, Essentially, at the moment, what is being rolled out around the world in only a few places, but it's still being rolled out. Other, other ultra supercritical, not the advanced ultra supercritical. Okay, so the the best we can hope for at the moment is about forty percent plus. Forty five, forty five, around about there. And Lynette, it sounds like the, these alloys are fairly expensive. Is there a big cost difference between these options? Um. The, probably the biggest advantage that Australia has is that it has all of these relatively old coal-fired power stations. So they're very cheap to run. I mean, at the moment, mm. a, a good proportion of them are really only running on what you would call their marginal cost because it, it, it really just needs the, the fuel and whatever you know, variable operating costs they have because they, they're, they're old and we don't have any capital costs associated with them. But if you were to invest in new, in new coal-fired power stations... Um, you're looking at 
at least a, a levelized cost of, of, of $80 a kilowatt hour plus. Um, and and coal-fired power stations at the moment are, are a little bit of a risk in terms of investment. So you find that the that most people who are um, estimating what the levelized costs are associated with them tend to put a bit of a premium in terms of, of um, uh, uh, interest rates to, 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 because there is risk. You know, kind of, there is no guarantee that building a, a coal-fired power station today is going to be able to generate for the next 30 to 40 years. Yeah, that's where we get to the stranded asset uh, concept. Um, Lynette, when you talk about the levelised cost, is that including any carbon cost or any environmental cost in that? No, the, the eighty dollars an hour that you, a megawatt hour that you, that is generally quoted, would would simply be the capital costs and the operating costs associated with with generating that um, electricity from that plant over the period of a thirty to forty year lifespan. Yeah, so the realistic cost is is much higher than that. If if you don't operate it for you know thirty year lifespan. Or, or if you count the damage to the environment that, that you're going to have to recover. You, that's exactly right. Mm, what a novel idea. <laughs> For those of you that have just joined us, this is the Beyond Zero Climate Solutions show and we're talking to Dr Lynette Molyneux from the University of Queensland about our electricity system and the new fossil fuel technologies that governments, federal government's talking about. Now, Lynette, in the International Energy Agency's 2015 scenario, to meet the agreed two-degree limit by 2040, there evidently is only room for about 780 gigawatt of unabated coal power generation worldwide, and all of this must be the most efficient, ultra-supercritical coal plants. The size of the world's current coal fleet is 1,900 gigawatts, with an additional 300 gigawatts under construction at that stage in 2015. Therefore, even if not another single additional coal plant was built, we'd still need to retire two-thirds of the world's current coal fleet by 2040 to try and stay within that two degrees um, warming limit. Now, is that why coal carbon capture and storage is being talked about as a solution rather than retiring coal plants? Well, I mean, there are two, there are two factors to that. Um, some of the... There are, there are two big coal-fired generators generating fleets around the world. The one would be the United States and the other would be China. And in the United States, they're a little bit like um, Australia. Um, they, they have also a very aging coal-fired power fleet and they are looking to, to renew their fleet. And President Obama's clean energy plan was that there were certain um, uh, requirements put upon replacement of of, um, of power generating facilities, and it meant that coal really wasn't an option unless there was some form of carbon capture and storage attached to it. In China, we have a different map in that most of Chinese fleet is sort of under ten years old, and therefore is is has a long operating life ahead of it. And the IEA has claimed has 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 asked the coal industry for the last 10 years to to prepare the way for carbon capture and storage for the world because it is the only way that we can continue to burn coal um, for electricity um, if we are to continue if we are to meet our, our targets our, our you know emission goals 
And I was at a briefing from the IEA's um, head man um, not so long ago, and he said that the IEA's greatest disappointment was with the coal industry for failing to pursue the carbon capture and sequestration technology um, improvement um, because it, it had really not gone very far in, in, in the intervening 10 years. Now, carbon capture and sequestration is a complicated process of three steps. The first step is to capture the carbon um, when you're generating the electricity, either before you generate it or slightly after you generate it, um, and then to transport it to a place that you've identified is capable of storing um, the carbon once you've captured it and transported it, um, which could be anything from old oil and gas wells to saline deposits and all the rest. So there is a mechanism for doing it. It is, as yet, a very... Um, um, What's the best way of, of, of it, it is it is a, a technology which has been developed, but it remains very expensive, and from a storage perspective, it remains a little bit questionable in terms of um, the leakage that's possible, um, the cost associated with storing it for a very long time, um, and the implications if the storage is not as effective as you would hope it to be. So it, it, it could, um, you know, kind of resurface or, 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 or affect underground facilities. But, but there is a fair amount of confidence that the storage is possible. It's really just the cost associated with it. Okay, so th that sounds like the biggest can of worms to me, <laughs> Lynette. Um, the, the three phases, you say, capturing, um, there must be an energy cost associated with that, um, possibly to a lesser extent with the transport, but still an energy cost. Um, and the storage, um, as you say, is, is um, not a guaranteed solution anyway. So our federal government, our current federal government, is talking about arguing that emissions should be reduced by building supercritical coal plants along with carbon capture and storage. How much reduction are they anticipating um, towards our 2030 target of 26 to 28% using this technology? Well, CCS is purported to be able to reduce up to 80 to 90% of the carbon from electric, electricity generation. Um, a, a lot of the quotes that come out of the United States' Energy Information Agency, which quotes um, the cost associated with carbon catching storage, actually will only quote for 35% removal of, of carbon dioxide emissions from generation. So you've still got 65% left. Um, but the theory is, is that it, it will, after operation, you know, get up to higher levels. But as you say, it, it is a can of worms. It, it is possible. I mean, if we were to throw an enormous amount of money at it, 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 it is possible that we could resolve the issues. But uh, there, is, there isn't a lot of coal industry money being put into this. Um, there is one plant in the state, the Kemper Council um, plant, which has recently been built. Um, and 
when it started out, it had a cost of three billion, two and a half billion, and it's finally come online at seven point one billion. But can't afford to burn, and, burn coal, I understand. And and it's too expensive to 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 generate. And the other question is, is I think I, I I don't believe it's even at the eighty to ninety percent capture rate. Um, I think it's even lower than that. So so. Uh, it's a first of a kind. We always have to expect a first of a kind to be more expensive than um, the, you know, ends of the kind. But it's it, it's expensive, and and to be honest, the, the amount that would be required to convert the world fleet um, using that technology would be very expensive. So, Lynette, um, just if in terms of Australia's commitments for our twenty thirty target. Um, Can we meet our target just by using uh, more efficient coal generation um, and only focusing all our reductions in stationary energy area? Um, If if we were to meet our our, our climate goals, we would really need to reduce. The the, the one big area that is, is possible to address reduction is in electricity generation. Um, it's, it's certainly coal-fired generation is our biggest, biggest single um, source of emission in Australia. So it's the it's so, the sweet spot to target, hey? Well, it's the sweet spot to target. You haven't got that many facilities to target. It, it is the one area that that is that is uh, the, the easy one to address. And in you know, in, in if we were looking at. Um, the emissions for 2014, which is the latest um, data we have for 2015, for emissions from coal-fired power stations, we're looking at about you know, 150-odd million tonnes of carbon dioxide emitted per annum from our coal-fired power stations. If we were to take the entire fleet of 25 gigawatts of coal-fired power stations and convert them to ultra-critical power stations and then... Um, generate them at the 80% of capacity factor that they need to be economically, you know, kind of effective. Yes. Um, you'd find that the the emissions would reduce, but only by 16% from what they would be if we kept generating at the existing from the existing facilities at the existing um, emission factors. So, so it's so completely yes, a reduction. Yeah, but it's completely insufficient on top of an already very insufficient target anyway. That's right. I mean, if we were to take the current, um, if we were to say, all right, we, we need to, to generate at 80% from our current fleet, we'd, we'd emit 160 million tonnes of carbon dioxide from our existing fleet. And if we were to reduce that or change it completely for the for the new ultra-supercritical fleet, it would reduce... 239 million tonnes of, of carbon dioxide. And to reach our target of 26 to 28% reduction by you know, 2025, 20, 20, we really need to reduce our emissions from coal-fired power stations down to 72 million tonnes of carbon dioxide per annum, which kind of shows up the difference between what we could do from ultra-supercritical coal needs to do to be able to reach our target. Okay, so that sounds like a definite no then. 
So well, the, the, the definite no is, is unless we add CPS to the equation, then it becomes impossible. Lynette, um, it seems to me this whole thing, we shouldn't even be having this conversation. Um, Beyond Zero Emissions um, argues that we not only need to get to zero emissions w- with great haste, and, and so does a lot of the current science, but we need to go beyond that and actually draw down to get back to a safe climate. So all this talking about IEI targets of of, um, of, seven, of 1,900 gigawatts or 780 gigawatts, um, it's just living in la-la land that we shouldn't even be talking about coal plants or carbon capture and storage or anything. We need to get to totally renewables as fast as possible. Uh, would you agree with that? Or do you have views on that? I mean, I, w- I, would, I, would, I would really agree with it. I, I think that what we face in Sydney, Australia, and possibly the States as well, is that there is a sizable proportion of the population which actually doesn't believe that there is an issue with ca- carbon emissions and that the concept of a, um, a changing climate is really purely natural fluctuations and not anything to do with, with our anthropological habits. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that most of the science is settled. Um, most of the um, institutional heads around the world, from the International Energy Agency to the UN's um, um, bodies of, of various flavors, to even I, I believe that there is a good proportion of our of our um, politicians who believe that there is a need to do this. But when you have a sizable part of your population which is unconvinced, it makes it very difficult to enact policy that they will agree to. However. There are two or three areas that are still addressable in terms of, of what can be done to, to move together forward to make this a possibility. And the first is, is that there is general acceptance amongst the population that renewable energy is a really good option and, and they are keen to pursue it. So, so renewable energy targets, far from being the anathema of climate um, policy are at least one area where there is consistent approval by um, the electorate, if not within amongst the politicians, to be able to do something to reduce our emissions. Mm, well, and the second, and the second, which the IEA is has been banging on about for years, is is energy efficiency. And to be frank, the enormous increase in prices in, across Australia between two thousand and five and or 2007 and 2010, actually acted as a surrogate carbon price because the efficiency that people made, the efficiency changes that people made because the electricity was just so expensive, made a significant difference. So it actually reduced okay. the demand, Lynette, which just, hadn't happened in years. We've just run out of time, unfortunately. It's been a fascinating discussion and we've only gone through half the questions. Thank you so much for your time. And um, well, people can find out more on the conversation about your articles. We've been talking to Dr Lynette Molnew from University of Queensland. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Solutions Think Tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others, you can go to www.bze.org.au and click on Podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. Thank you for listening and hope to catch you again next week. It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing 
demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tydrum. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.